Father, we just want to say thank you for this day. God, we want to say thank you for that cross. Lord, as we come together and we pray and we sing and we read your word, Father, I pray that you would remind us constantly of the amount of love that you have for us to go to that cross and endure its pain in order to secure our forgiveness and our freedom from sin. Father, I ask that in these moments, Lord, that you would help us to just forget about things that are outside of these walls. Forget about the situations, the circumstances, the jobs, the things at home. God, help us to just block all that out so we can focus on you during this time. Lord, you are worthy of it. You are worthy of everything that we can give you or offer you. Father, help us to seek your face. Help us to submit ourselves to you. And Lord, help us to allow you to work and move and change us the way that you want us to. Father, we love you today. Lord, we lift up our brothers and sisters who aren't able to be here. As always, we have so many people with physical ailments. Lord, you know the people who've been been down and struggling with stuff for months. God, we lift them up. We pray for Bruce Mahaffey and his family as he lost his sister this week. Lord, we just pray for their family today. God, I just ask that you would touch them. Lord, that you would be with all of us. Jesus, you are the only one who can make a difference in those situations, and you're the only one who can make a difference in our lives. So we surrender ourselves to you, and we ask and invite you in today to do the work in us that we can't do ourselves. Lord, we love you, and we thank you. <clears throat> and we ask all this in your precious and holy name. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. have a quote on the wall in my office. <clears throat> if you go in there and you look around, there's a lot of stuff hanging on the walls, but I like this quote. It says, a statement closes the mind and a question opens it. I don't know if you've ever thought about that before, but as you interact with people in your life, if you make a definitive statement, it's kind of case closed. They know where you, what you think. They know where you stand. They know, okay, maybe there's not even any point in talking to this person because I'm not going to change anything. The statement just kind of lays it out. It draws the line, right? But a question gives the ability for conversation to happen and for people to think and kind of come to a conclusion for themselves. And I I truly believe Jesus understands us as people. It's hard to remember that sometimes because we, we don't understand God or Christ as much as we would like to think that we do. Um, but for, for most of us, we would sit here and say, man, I really wish I understood. I, I wish I understood God more. I wish I understood Christ more. I wish I knew exactly what he wanted me to do in this situation. So our lack of understanding sometimes gives us the perception that Jesus does not understand us as much as we would want him to. But the truth is, Christ really understands us 
more than we could ever fathom because he's the one who created us. We've got to remind ourselves of that. And as Jesus was living and as he was doing ministry on earth for those three years, yes, Jesus made a lot of statements. When he came, he spoke about scripture. He spoke about the law. He revealed truth to the people of Israel. He communicated the true meaning of passages from what we call the Old Testament now. He really guided the people to understand the heart behind the law that God gave them. And so there were a lot of statements that was made, but we miss a lot of times the fact that Jesus asked a lot of questions. And so this summer, over the next nine weeks, we're going to be talking about questions that Jesus asked. And as I got to researching this and just kind of looking at the different questions that Jesus asked, there's a lot. Okay, so, so he probably made more statements than he asked questions because, you know, if you're God, you can make statements because they are eternal. They are definitive. So he has the authority to make statements. But at the same time, he understands us as people. And there's a need in our lives for us to contemplate the things that are being said and written about in Scripture. And as Jesus asked so many questions, I think that's really important for you as a believer to sit here today and understand that, that Jesus knew and he understood us as people to know that we need to think for ourselves. We need to come to an understanding for ourselves about all things. Even the simple thing, even like why we should put our faith in Christ, why we should serve him, why we, why we should be obedient to his word, why we should read his word, why we should pray, why we should go to church, why we should fellowship with other believers. Because a lot of times you can tell someone that, right? Like you've told that to a lot of people, you should do this. But until they come to the understanding of it for themselves to understand why, they're going to fight you on it, Right? Have you ever had somebody in your life or a kid or somebody fight you on like you're trying to tell them to do something? And, and then one day they come to the understanding of why they should do something. It's like, yeah, I'm going to do this now because they, they, it has been revealed to them. Well, Jesus asked a lot of questions. And the question I want to ask you today is, the one that Jesus asked is, what reward is there for that? Can we be honest with each other? Let's be, let's be brutally honest, because this is fun. I, I like doing this. I like making people feel awkward. You're in it for the reward, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. Th that, that sounds dirty to say. Like, it sounds extremely dirty. Like, I'm in this for the reward. Like, you didn't wake up today with a smile on your face, ready to get ready to come to church, ready to fight three to four little beasts to get them out of bed, get them ready, get them here, do the whole thing, dress up more than you dress up any other time during the week to get here and fight that battle and probably had an argument in the car on the way over unless you drive separately. I know many of you drive separately to keep from arguing on the way over here. But you're in it for the reward, whether we like to admit that or not. Now, we say that we love Jesus. We, we, we say all these things about God. We believe in Scripture. We believe all these wonderful things. And if everything that we say about God is true, then technically, yes, He is worthy of us sacrificing and giving up things and being obedient and, and doing all this stuff to sacrifice things that we could have and enjoy in this life for Him. He is worthy of it, but you think about it right here. 
how many of you would do it if you knew that right now there was no heaven, there was no eternal life after this life, there was nothing for you to, no physical blessings, no eternal blessings, no eternal reward, no eternal treasures, would you be as prone to do the same thing if you knew there was nothing waiting for you on the other side, other than the fact of you just got to serve a glorious God? And the truth is, is no. How many of you would get up and go to work tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. for no pay? Nobody? Jesus understands us more than we like to think that he does. And as Jesus taught in Scripture, when you look through the Gospels, when you look through his teachings, even when you look through the writings of the apostles, it was very much an understanding of the reward of the end game of what we're going to receive as a result of what we're doing. So Jesus talked a lot about rewards. And this question that he asked is, what reward is there for that? Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48. If you haven't already associated the passage of Scripture, this is where Jesus is communicating in the Sermon on the Mount. And he's talking about love for enemies. So let's read this together. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. And if you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else in the world? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. This is an extremely difficult passage of Scripture. And in this, Jesus asks a question, but Jesus also gives some statements. Okay, there's some definitive statements in this, but he also asks a question because you need to contemplate why it is that you should do what he's calling you to do. And Jesus understands that you as individuals, me as an individuals, we are very much reward-driven. That, that there's something that we need to gain. For, for us as believers, we have to understand that for us to give up something here, there has to be something better that we are waiting for. And Jesus understands that. That's why he taught on it constantly. That's why he goes to prepare a place for us. Because he wants you, as someone who's putting your trust and faith in him, to know that he is preparing a place for you. He has something better waiting for you. He's not just calling you to follow him because he believes himself to be so great and so glorious and so awesome. Rather, he is a God who came in the flesh, who suffered and died for you because he loves you. And he goes to the Father, sits at his right hand, pleads on your behalf because he knows how much we struggle with sin. He sends us the Holy Spirit to help us in that. And he goes to prepare a place for us so that when we leave this earth, we have something better to go to. And that's what Jesus is communicating. But as believers this morning, you with me? You claim to be a believer. You are called to be different than the rest of the world. You can't look and act and be like everybody else and expect to be a follower of Christ and expect to have reward in heaven. 
Because Jesus plainly said, what reward is there for that? So point number one, if you're taking notes today, we are supposed to be different. Now, this is probably the simplest thing about being a Christian. And at the same time, this is the one that we get lost in so much. Because there is this innate desire in us to blend in and to be a part of and and to just be accepted by the people or the groups of people or the family that we are surrounded by on any given basis, right? Like there's a reason why a, a, a developer can go in and buy 10, 20, 100 acres of land and put 50 to 1,000 houses on it with uh, houses that look exactly like one another with a yard no bigger than this stage. And people come in droves to buy it. Because there's something comforting about going somewhere and, and having something that's just like everyone else around you. That you can wake up every day, you can go outside, and you look at the house across the street, and it looks exactly like yours. And you look at your yard, it looks exactly like yours. You look at the cars, they look exactly like yours. That's comforting. People like that. People like to feel like they belong to something bigger than themselves. And it's been going on for a long time. You look at the Mill Hills back in the early 1900s. Every house looked exactly the same. Everybody worked the same job. Everybody earned the same paycheck. Everybody raised their family. Everybody drove the same cars. And it was very comforting for people to do that. Not many of you in here go out to buy clothes on any given day and says, I don't want the clothes that are in the source. I want something that's completely different from what everyone else is wearing. Anybody do that? There's some strange people out there who do that. But most people want to buy what's in style. And in fact, many of you will go and clean out your closet regularly to go buy clothes that have gone out of style, to buy clothes that are in style so that you can fit in with the current culture and the type and all those things. Jesus understands us more than we like to realize. And when he calls us to be different, you listening to me this morning? When he calls us to be different, he's not calling you necessarily to look different in the way that you dress or the way that you do things. I mean, like, sometimes, and I don't want to get on a rabbit trail, sometimes those things can be a reflection of what God's done in our life, like dressing in modesty and things like that. All those are good things. But understand me this morning. God cares so much more about your heart and the way that you think and the way that you believe and the way that you trust. And when he calls us to be different, it's so much more of a heart thing than it is a world thing. God has not called you to be different in the form of sandpaper. For so long, a lot of Christians, like they were different because they were like sandpaper. They just wanted to to express themselves in such a way they were so different from the world that it was coarse and abrasive, and most of the time it rubbed people the wrong way rather than drawing them to Christ like we're called to. You with me this morning? All right, so 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. 
He writes, but you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. As believers, we are not called to be coarse and abrasive and annoying, but we are called to be the salt and the light of the world. Everything that God has called us to do is supposed to make it better. All right. Even if someone is not a Christian and they don't agree with your values, you should be a pleasure for them to be around. You with me? Like you should be what makes life taste good. They should enjoy being around you. They should receive goodness from you. They should be, they should feel uplifted around you. And you guys know this because there's people in your life. Like there's some people that I go to visit and going to visit them is a pleasure. And I leave there feeling like they ministered to me more than I ministered to them. And there's some people that I go and visit and I need a week's vacation after going and visiting them. And that's true. We are called to be the salt and the light. We are called to be what draws people to Christ and not what runs people away from Christ. Romans chapter 12 verse 2. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. Now, we talked about this a couple years ago, but we forget a lot of times. It's not just a matter, we talk about the heart a lot, but it's not just a matter of God doing this lovey-dovey work in your heart, but God wants to transform you entirely, even changing the way that you think. And the way that we think about things drastically affects the decisions that we make. It affects how we feel about things. So God even wants to transform the way you will think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. Are you with me this morning? God wants to change the way you think. Now, there's some of you in here who's been saved for a long time, and you look at other people who aren't saved and aren't following Christ, and you say, how did they not get it? How do they just not understand why they need to give their hearts and lives to Christ? How do they not understand why they need to follow, why they need to read the Scripture, why they need to do this? And dude, you, you just really have to go back and think, about, okay, remember what your life was like, your thought pattern before you received Christ. I remember growing up through childhood in my teenage years, caring nothing about church, nothing about Scripture, nothing about God, and thought that everybody who was a Christian was crazy and boring. That's what I thought. And, and as God began to do a work in my life and change the way I think, it is really funny how, you know, as a Christian, you don't understand why people talk that way. Why, why people talk the way they do out in the world. Well, that's how most people talk. What do you expect them to talk like? Like we are the few. That we're supposed to be different than them. And so as we follow Christ and we submit and surrender to him, he changes the way that we think about things. We see things totally different than what we used to, and that should be normal in the life of a follower of Christ, that he changes the way that we think. And we should all be in the process of allowing God to transform and change us. You with me this morning? There's not a single person here, it doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, how long you've been saved, or even if you are not saved yet. We should wake up every day with the cry in our heart for God to change and transform me today. From what I was yesterday to something new and better today. That should be the cry of our heart. God wants to change us. 
And as God leads us and guides us in our relationship with Him, there should be change. And as for, for people who are living for God, you with me? It sounds a lot different whenever a Christian looks at another person who's not a believer and says, you need to do this and you need to do that and you need to act this way and you don't need to do that and you don't need to talk this way and you need to do that than it is to say, hey, come along with me. Let's do this together. Because you might have been saved for 10 years and this person may not have just started believing or not even believed yet. And you say, hey, we're all learning and growing together. Come do this with me because I'm not where I need to be yet. We can grow together. Because none of us have it figured out, do we? None of us are where we should be. None of us are perfect. None of us are, are, have accomplished this thing yet. And so we're all working and growing and moving and being transformed together. And it's something that we should be encouraging one another to do together. And we're not making statements. We're asking questions. We're inviting people along for the journey with us. But you're called to be different. But be the good different. Don't be the annoying different. You with me? You ever met those people? Like some people are really, really different. They're just really, really annoying. And then there's a few people that you meet who are really, really different. And they're just like, it's like the most interesting person in the world. It's like there's just something about them. And for whatever reason, you just really like being around them. And they're so different from everyone else. Be that different. Be the different that everyone else loves to be around because you lift them up, you encourage them, they, they leave you feeling joyful and happier than what they do when they leave anyone else in the room. That's the salt and the light that God has called us to be. Point number two, love your enemies. Again, simple, practical. Nobody in the church is going to challenge this because we've been teaching this for thousands of years. We know that we should love our enemies, and yet very few of us have mastered how to do this. Or if we even like want to do this at all. Like even saying it this morning, there's probably some of you out there that's like, that is garbage, I'm not doing that. I agree with everything else in the Bible. I'm not loving that person. Because you can think of one person right now that you, that if you had gas and a match and you could get away with it, you'd throw it on them. And you're not going to love them. And I want to challenge you this morning and I want to remind you that God wants to change the way that you think. The rest of the world, the rest of the world communicates what should be done to someone who does something wrong. The rest of the world communicates what should happen if they do this, what should happen if they do that. And they have all these strong opinions about it. And everyone around you might be saying, well, if that happened to me, this is what I'd do. And if this happened to me, this is what I would say. And the, everybody talks a lot of stuff, but whenever it comes down and it's them in that situation, usually people aren't willing to do as much as they're willing to talk. You with me today? You are called by Christ to love your enemies. That is different than the world. You with me? If you don't, what reward is there in that? Are you in it for the reward? You should say yes. Now, now I want to communicate something else. Part of the reward that we are going to receive in eternal life is the true understanding of God when we see him face to face, which is part of stepping into eternal life into heaven. 
okay? We do not realize or contemplate that that is going to be the greatest thing that we receive, okay? But it is. But the rewards that we like and the rewards that we want to talk about the most and look forward to the most, that, those are the things that's going to get us there to receive the ultimate reward. But I'm telling you this morning that as a believer, you need to understand that if you don't do the things that God's called you to do and you don't do things like love your enemies, what reward is there for that? You claim to be a follower of Christ, and that's great. But if you don't live according to his teachings, what reward is there for that? And there's a reason why Christ calls us to do this. We're supposed to love our enemies. It's a calling on every person who ever claims to be a believer in Christ. And it's found all throughout Scripture, from Old Testament through New Testament. Now, Jesus said, you've heard it said in the law to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But even in Old Testament Scripture, there are so many examples of people who had the opportunity to execute judgment on their enemies, and yet they showed them kindness and love instead. You take King David, for example. Saul had been trying to kill him for years, and David had multiple opportunities to take Saul's life spared his life every time and did not execute judgment on him at all. You look at Joseph. His brother sold him into slavery. He endured years in jail, years as a slave, years as a servant. And yet when he was finally encountered with his brothers, probably the, most, the second most powerful person on earth, had the opportunity to snuff out their life like that. He said, no, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. There's an understanding in Scripture that the people that you read about are exercising this idea of loving your enemies, of, of offering forgiveness. And that's something that all of us are called to do. In Romans 12, verses 20 through 21. Paul writes, he says, Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. You need to understand that in this world, we perceive so many things as being physical. Like this is just the earth. This is world. This is physical. And we said this a couple weeks ago, you are not physical beings that has spiritual experiences, but we are spiritual beings having a physical experience. And so what you need to remember every day is, is that everything is a lot more spiritual than what you would like to think that it is. And you have to remind yourself of that. And so when, when, when situations go bad and you develop enemies and you have people that are opposing you, these are spiritual things. This is spiritual warfare at hand. And Jesus is giving you advice on how to handle these things because it's going to affect you spiritually. It will affect you physically too, but it's going to affect you more spiritually. And if you don't conquer this evil by loving your enemies, you let evil conquer you. You with me today? Now you think about this. There are people in your life that have wronged you and have done you wrong, and you might still be angry with them. There might be someone you're thinking of right now and you just like grinding your teeth, just thinking of them. Like you just, if you had your gas in your match and you could get away with it, maybe. But the truth is, is that you're the one that's losing sleep over it. You're the one that's being tortured by it. 
you're the one that's not moved on because chances are, and there's people in my life that I've done this with, there's people in my life that I've hurt. I know I've hurt them. And I've wanted more than anything to go back and apologize to them. But, you know, it's like you, you can, you see people that you might have hurt in the past and you can just tell like they would throw gas in a match on you. Like, I know that. I know they would. And I would love to go and apologize to them and have that conversation. But I feel like it's just better for me to leave it be. There might be somebody in your life who's wronged you or hurt you who has moved on. They've asked for forgiveness from Christ for what they've done. They, they're, they're trying to do better and move on from it. And they, don't, they want to apologize, but they don't even feel like they can because you're still stewing and burning with anger. And, and you've put up this barrier that doesn't allow them to come and have that conversation with you. We are called to love our enemies. It affects us spiritually. And, and, and yes, it will affect you physically. You'll lose sleep over it. You'll be stressed out about it. Like it'll be one of those things and, and you don't realize it, but people will listen to you whining and complaining about it for a time, but eventually people get sick of listening to you whining and complaining about it. It will affect the other relationships around you because you're always going to want to talk about it. And you're always going to want to stew over it. And you're always going to want people to like affirm what you're thinking and what you're saying. And really people get sick of it. So it'll affect relationships. But more importantly, it's going to affect you spiritually. Luke chapter 6 verses 27 through 28. Jesus says, but to you who are willing to listen. Again, you have to be willing to listen. You got to be willing if you're not willing, it's just like goes in one ear out the other. But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. And this sounds really good in a sermon. I, I know. Like, I'm sitting here, I'm talking about this. This sounds really good for a pastor to stand up here on Sunday morning and say, and beat you over the head with it, and make you feel guilty, because then you're mad at them, and now you feel guilty about it, and you go home, and you're still mad, and now you're guilty. But this is something that takes a lot of surrender in our lives for us to say, God, you are more important than this situation. You are more important than what's been done for me. It takes a lot of surrender in our hearts to go and to love someone who's wronged us or hurt us or who opposes us constantly. It takes a lot of surrender. It takes a lot of humility to do that. And it's not something that just comes natural. I'm not sitting here saying that like tomorrow you're going to go and you're going to face that person and all of this stuff is just going to come natural to you all of a sudden. Like it, God just revealed, no, it's going to take work and prayer and sacrifice and surrender. And you may go and you may offer the olive branch of peace and try to you know, make this right. And they may spit on, they might spit on you. But it takes a lot of surrender to keep going and back and doing it again and continue to love and to overcome evil. It's not a one-time act. It's a process, and it takes time, and it takes energy, and it takes a lot of blood, sweat, and tears for you to do that. But this morning, if you're taking notes, you write this down, you keep it with you. This is one of the best things I'll ever communicate with you. There is not a person who's walking the face of this earth that is your enemy. You with me today? There's not. You have one enemy. 
and he fights for your soul. He fights to keep you tangled up and bound in sin, to keep you separated from God, to claim you as his own. That is your one enemy. And there may be people who oppose you. There might be people who, who have wronged you or hurt you and sinned against you. But there's one thing that you need to remember is that that person was created in the image of God. And none of us, none of us have the right to execute judgment, eternal judgment, on those people. None of us have the right to hate them. Jesus said, if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. Judge not, lest ye be judged. We're, we're, we're talking about this conversation today, and it sounds like this is hard, this is impossible. Yes, it is hard. Yes, it, it would be impossible without Christ and the Holy Spirit helping us to accomplish these things. It's not something that you can do on your own. It's something that you have to lean into Christ and rely on Him to give you the strength and the ability to overcome, to conquer this evil in your life. There's not a person in this world who is your true enemy. You think that they're your enemy. Satan has tricked you into thinking that they are your enemy. But in reality, he's your enemy. And you know the old saying, I was trying to look it up a while ago and try to figure out where its origins come from. But it's like thousands of years old that an enemy of my enemy is my friend. You with me? An enemy of my enemy is my friend. Right? Well, guess what happens when we make other people our enemies? We make God our enemy. Proverbs chapter 24 verse 17 says, Don't rejoice when your enemies fall. Don't be happy when they stumble. For the Lord will be displeased with you and will turn his anger away from them. The words and the thoughts and the treatment that you give your enemies will actually pronounce judgment on yourself. It will actually create separation between you and God on yourself. And so there's a reason why God says revenge is mine. God is the one who truly knows people's hearts. God's the one who truly knows whether or not people are, are remorseful for what they've done. Like somebody can say that they're sorry, but they don't mean it. Like I have a two-year-old and a four-year-old and we make them tell each other sorry all the time. Do they actually mean it? Heck no. Like they would like play with gas and matches too. They do not mean it. And there might be somebody who comes up and they give you a fake apology and you know that it's not sincere and you have to surrender to the Lord and say, God... It's not mine. It's yours. I'm giving it to you. Revenge is yours. Judgment is yours. Execution is yours. Whatever you say on this, Lord, I'm surrendering it to you. It's one thing to say it. It's another thing to surrender and allow God to take charge of it and doing it. And don't fall into the trap that Satan is laying for you because Satan wants you to think that that other person is your enemy when in fact he is your enemy. And when you make another human being your enemy, you also make God your enemy because you're, you're fighting against the very image of God. And we have to remember that. And you know in your life you have wronged people, you have hurt people, you have done stuff to cause that enemy to be present in your life because of something you've done. And do you not want forgiveness for it? 
Do you not want reconciliation for it? We have to be willing to offer it to them. Point number three. This is the one you're all going to love. We are to be perfect. And this is really painful to say. It's really funny, like, we don't have this verse on our church bus. Like, we got John 3.16 and all the fun verses that we like to say and quote. And we got all these verses hanging in our homes that we love and are uplifting. And for whatever reason, when this verse comes along that Jesus says, you are to be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. It's like, yeah, let's not talk about that one. That's not that important. Because we know we're not, right? But it doesn't change the fact that it's another one of those callings on our life. And, and you with me today? Like Jesus asked the question, what reward is there for that? Because he wanted you to contemplate the fact of you need to love your enemies. Well, loving your enemies and praying for them and caring for their needs and doing those things and forgiving people, that's part of that calling that he wants you to contemplate and understand why you should do it. But it's all part of the process of bringing you into perfection. And as you're sitting here today, it's like perfection such this like weird, ugly word. But, but think about this, okay? As soon as you tell someone you're a Christian, what do they expect from you? Not another Christian, but as soon as you tell somebody who's not a Christian that you're a Christian, what do they expect from you? Perfection. They don't expect you to talk like them or act like them or retaliate or, or do anything that they're doing. They expect you to be perfect. There's an understanding that God has instilled in everybody's life that, that if you claim to be a follower of Christ, Jesus was perfect. We're supposed to be like him. We've been called to that. And this is not just one verse that we're talking about. There's multiple passages of Scripture in the Bible that call us to perfection. And it's not something that we can accomplish on our own. You can't do it. And it's not something necessarily that you will ever even achieve. But it's something that you've been called to. And this is something you should write down on your bathroom mirror. Like every morning when you get, go buy you a sharp, uh, not a Sharpie marker because it won't come off, buy an Expo marker, it erases. But write it on there. You are to be perfect. And so your, your cry to God, when you walk out of that bathroom in the morning, you get your hair done and you go out and present yourself to the public, that you're called to be perfect. You're called to perfection. But don't be intimidated by that. Don't be like, man, that's, that, that's impossible. It's like, yes, it is impossible, but it doesn't mean that's not what God has called you to. God has called you into that. In James chapter 1, verses 3 through 4, James talks about, for you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Because here's what happens, okay? Like, we have enemies, right? But we hate having enemies. And we have trials and tribulations, but we hate having trials and tribulations, and so we seek comfort, we seek easiness, we seek peace because that's the easiest way to go. But we all know in all things that the only way that we grow is to do the hard stuff, right? The only way you make more money is to work hard. The only way you get physically fit is to exercise, pain, suffering. The only way you lose weight, deny yourself of the things that you usually partake in. The, 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 in everything that we do, we apply that. that everything that we try to accomplish, it's difficult. 
And this is why the apostles are writing in these New Testament books, consider it pure joy when trials and tribulations come. It gives you a chance to grow, to, to go and move towards that perfection that Christ has called you to. And so in the midst of the trials and tribulations or the enemies and the people that are opposing you at this moment in your life, you need to understand that this is Christ giving you an opportunity to grow in your relationship with him, moving towards that perfection upon which he has called you to. But don't be intimidated by it. Okay? Don't, don't sit here this morning and think, this is impossible. What did Jesus say? Or I'm sorry, what did Paul say in Philippians 4.13? Through Christ, all things are possible. Do you believe that? If you have enough faith, you can do anything. Anything is possible. That's what Jesus said. Don't sell yourself short this morning. And it's not the fact that I'm sitting here telling you, you need to be perfect tomorrow. No, this is a process. God is leading you into perfection. And when you cross from this life into the next, that is like the final go where God is leading you truly into perfection, but you're called to be gradually moving in that direction. So let's see what Paul had to say in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. And I love this passage because it's talking about moving towards the goal or the prize, a.k.a. the reward, which is what we started out talking about today. You're in it for the reward? I'm in it for the reward. You're in it for the reward? If you want the reward, look at what Paul says. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection. So here's the Apostle Paul. He wrote half of the New Testament books, traveled over tens of thousands of miles, ministered on three different continents, hundreds of churches, ministered to countless numbers of people. And he's writing this passage of Scripture and he's saying, Look, I do not mean to tell you today that I have already reached perfection. So you can feel comforted in that, to know that someone as effective and amazing as Paul per, per, uh, specifically said, he's not reached this point in your life yet. So don't feel like if you haven't reached this that you're a failure. Even Paul had not got there yet, and Paul's on up in age whenever he's writing this. But I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. So he hasn't reached it, but he's pressing on. He's moving towards it. That is his goal. That's what he's moving towards. Verse 13. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, and this is what many of you in this room need to cling to this morning. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. You need to understand today there's nothing for you behind you. There's nothing for you in the past. You might can learn a few lessons from it, but you can't change anything that lies back there. You can't erase it. You can't make it go away. It's done. Do not look back. You look forward and you press on to what lies ahead. Jesus said, anyone who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. You look at the story of Lot. And as they were leaving Sodom and Gomorrah, and his wife turned around and she looked back. There's so many passages of Scripture that talk about us as believers 
We are not called to go backwards. We're called to move forwards. Paul is saying, look, I'm not perfect. I haven't reached perfection, but I'm pushing forward. I have not achieved it, but I'm forgetting the past. I'm looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. All right? So Paul, I mean, it's pretty unique how Paul is. It, this is kind of a, he's it's singular. He's focusing on himself. I do this. I don't look back. I press forward. I press forward. Upon which the calling that Christ Jesus has called us as believers. He's called us all to this. And Paul can only answer for himself. This is what, this is what I'm doing. This is where I'm going. This is what I feel like God has called me to do. But he's called us all to this. And you have to make the decision for yourself. And so the question is, is what reward is there for that? There's a lot of people who claim to be believers in Christ. So many passages talk about like there will be people who, who call out, Lord, Lord, and, and they even done great and amazing things in the name of Jesus. And Jesus looks at them and said, depart from me. I never knew you. The road to, he- the road to hell is broad. The gate is wide. The road to heaven is Narrow, the gate is small. When you look at it, guys, there's so many people who say that they have faith in Christ, but very few people are living as if they have faith in Christ. You have been called by God to do these things like love our enemies. And and this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where you really figure out whether or not you truly have faith in Christ. Because it's one thing to say that you believe in God, but until you're ready to do the things that he's called you to do and say, God, I submit to you, this person might deserve to have gas thrown on them with a match, but God, this is, I'm giving it to you. You just do whatever you want to do. Because it's one thing to say you have faith in Christ, but it's another thing to actually live it out and then like have faith to know that, hey, if this person really deserves this, God will take care of it. And even though I think they deserve the gas in the match, if God wants to give them forgiveness, I surrender to what God wants. It's a totally different thing to actually start putting your faith in motion and moving towards that goal and doing the things that God has called you. What reward is there for that? Last verse. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 9 through 12. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. For the scriptures say, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right and his ears are open to their prayers. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. What reward in your life when you leave here today That's a question that you have to answer. What reward is there for you? Let's pray. Father, we are very grateful and thankful for this day. We ask that you would speak into our hearts and lives. God, I know that what we talked about today is a hard teaching. And it's a hard thing to overcome. But it doesn't change the calling that you've put on our lives. And Lord, 
from Jesus to all the apostles, to everybody who wrote in the New Testament. Lord, they all endured trials and tribulations and persecutions. They all endured people mistreating them, tried to kill them. Lord, some of them even died at the hands of other people. But Lord, I pray that we would follow after our Savior who on that cross said, Lord, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Jesus, help us not to seek out revenge and anger and hatred on our, on our enemies, but God, help us to forgive them and to love them and do what you've called us to do, to be the salt and the light of the world. Lord, that's the only way we're going to get the reward that we're all seeking. Lord, we love you and we thank you and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You're dismissed.